Hey, what goes great with Liberty, guys? Alcohol. But what's second best? Coffee. You nailed it. We got a brand new Morning Roar line of coffee through Anarcho Coffee, which you can find at lionsofliberty.com forward slash coffee. But even better, if you're a Pride member at the $10 level or up, you get 15% off every order. That's on top of all the other great content you get. Conspiracy Corners, Degenerate Gamblers, Do Nothing Man episodes. And not only that, but you'll also get access to the Legion of Liberty Doom. So join today at patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Hello, my luscious lemon bars of liberty, you sweet yet tart, delectable little dumplings. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 123, meaning you can find all of today's show notes at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL123. And yeah, we'll see where the show goes today. I'm going to tell a little personal story tying into what's going on in Venezuela. And uh, then get a little bit to the bar stuff. Got to talk about the bar stuff. Did not do any bar talk about the bar stuff, oddly enough. <laughs> Making stupid alliterations and rhymes here at the top of the show. Anyway, but I do want to talk about it just because more than anything, the levels of absurdity have reached a brand new low and it, it must be discussed. And by discussed, I mean me giving my one point of view without anybody talking back to me. <laughs> And uh, anyway, we'll get into a little bit of Iran stuff, and then I got to read from this goddamn Hollywood Reporter article, guys, because it just was absolutely ridiculous. And uh, I, there were laughter, there were tears as I sat alone, hungover, perusing this piece a few days ago, so I'm going to share that with you as well. Uh, but anyway, welcome, welcome, and welcome once more. So first things first, like I said, I, uh, my wife and I, had some neighbors we used to live next to. And before we bought the house, we became pretty good friends with these people. The husband, and I'm not going to go into names, obviously, but the husband is from Venezuela. And uh, up until, I think about six months ago, his family was still back there. Uh, you know, his uh, sister and his parents, they have now moved away. I think his parents are in Florida currently because they, uh, they decided to ditch out. You know, with everything, everything going on with the inflation uh, to the point where, you know, the the family's currency was virtually eliminated and they had uh, actually made an interesting living his father anyway, because what ended up happening was people were trying to escape Venezuela in such large numbers and go to Spain because Spain has a program wherein if you have blood in your, you know, if you can prove a, a lineage tying you to Spain on any level, they'll accept you into the country. So people were saying, well, shit, we got to jump on this. Let's take advantage of it. And his father had done, I guess, a lot of work in the past tracing lineages. So he actually made a living until they were able to get out of there themselves and go to Florida, made a living tracing people's lineages back and then proving this to the government. And he, you know, he would get paid something like 100 or $200 American because obviously the currency there is just worthless. Harder to, you know, at this point, harder to get toilet paper than the, uh, than the bills there. And they're worth about the same amount. So anyway, we go to go to have dinner with them a few days ago and uh, we're sitting down. And so he's from Venezuela, but, but again, very progressive. Uh, <laughs> despite the socialism ruining that country, he still has some socialist tendencies and his wife is uber progressive. But at least we can hang out. We can still get together as people and talk despite our differences, which is what I would encourage everybody to do. So we're sitting down at dinner. And Venezuela comes up, and of course, my wife's getting furious and giving me the, the death side eye as we're talking about it. But, you know, we're talking about a country which he has watched firsthand. He and his wife have watched it firsthand collapse upon itself. Uh, they now are fully anti-Maduro. They want him ousted at all costs. They, uh, you know, I still don't know how deep they, their interest in socialist programs are. Are in because we try to. I try to avoid getting too deep in this conversation with these people, especially when my wife, like I said, is there giving me the death eyes. But 
let's just say that every single thing she says politically virtually lines up to a T with a Bernie Sanders talking point that has been uttered at one point or another. Because I, I recognize one line she said in passing when we were just at the bar a little later on hanging out, which was that, you know, Trump's tax cut only helped the utmost 1%, which is literally lifted from Bernie Sanders' last town hall, which I thought was a massive embarrassment for him because he came across to me as a massive hypocrite who could not give a straight answer to any question that was posed by anybody and just simply deflected either to Trump or turned it back on the people asking the question, which is the most childish thing I've ever seen. Why do I pay a, why, why do I pay a 70% tax rate? Why don't you pay a 70% tax rate? Huh? Why don't you pay it? I'm rubbing your glue. Whatever you throw at me, comes on me, it sticks back to you. Bernie Sanders. So, long story short, just to give you an idea of where her progressivism uh, lies and how she does have socialist tendencies, I suppose in the Bernie Sanders mold of, oh, we're going to do a theoretical European-style socialism, which of course doesn't even exist and is essentially now free market capitalism for the most part, which has been uh, slightly subsidized by some socialist aspects, but even places like Sweden, they have privatized all their pensions, they have privatized the school systems. Uh, anyway, going down a tangent line here. Getting back to the main point. So what ended up happening, though, in the discussion about Venezuela is that they are fully against Maduro now because of what he's done to the country. However, they are fully for the United States coming in, guns blazing, to take him out and to literally overthrow a I don't know, you could call him a president or a dictator, depending on what media outlet you want to listen to. It certainly seems like the more evidence I'm hearing that Maduro was actually elected legitimately, although who really knows, because he was literally throwing his political opponents into prisons during the run-up in the election, so very hard to tell what would be authentic or not, but he clearly has support. Uh, Despite everything that's happened, he shockingly does have supporters. You saw them out rallying around the uh, the streets in Caracas. Uh, you saw the military is still clearly behind him because this attempted coup by the U.S. government, which Guaido is saying, oh, well, you know, I blame, I blame these people that lied to me because it was supposed to be somebody like the Supreme Court head, uh, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, uh, the defense minister, the head of the presidential guard. These were all people that were supposedly behind them. And the U.S. was very confident that this was going to happen to the point where they were fully, fully backing Guaido, calling him the president, saying that this was a done deal, effectively. And then we see all of this fall to pieces and nothing happens. And Guaido is saying, oh, this is all, all people that endorsed the plot to overthrow him and then failed to follow through. But in the meantime, even if you have the head of the presidential guard, even and, and I guess the defense minister on some level would have influence, but if you get down to a basic level, the troops are going to follow their direct commanders. They're going to follow the generals that are, that are leading them. They're going to follow their uh, colonels and all the other people that are there rather than these people that are high up in the government when it comes down to brass tacks. So who knows, even if the defense minister is on board, who knows if these people are actually going to follow him. And the military is the dictating point to how Maduro stays in power. Full stop. If the military turns, he's done. Doesn't matter if you got the Supreme Court justice. Doesn't matter if you got the head of his personal guard, unless you're going to literally put a bullet in the back of his head when he's sleeping. The military is his support. And at this point, Guaido does not have even an ounce of the backing he would actually need to overthrow Maduro in that country. And thus, the United States would have to come in and be his military arm for him to have any success. Otherwise, Maduro is, is going to be there for the near future. So, talking to my friends, they support this action. To which I said, look, I said, guys, I'm on your team here. Obviously, I oppose socialism. I oppose your form of socialism that you favor, as well as this democratic socialism that's been put into place by Bedora, which has destroyed your country and driven people out in droves and has people eating trash out of the streets. So it brought up a, an interesting conundrum. And that, you know, in a way, a little bit of a liberty catch-22. And I've had this discussion with people before in, in regards to when we're talking about foreign nations, you know, would there be a, if there's a voluntary group that wants to go over and freedom fight, let's say a group of uh, independent Americans decides we're going to get our guns together. We're going to somehow get transportation over to Venezuela. We're going to take part in overthrowing and, and freedom fighting in this country. Is that okay or not? 
I mean, I suppose so. If you're aligning with the people of that country, if you're not affiliated with a government entity, okay, I could support that. But on a nation level, I cannot. And I don't think that even despite everything going on there, and this is what enraged my, my friends and they just couldn't get over it, how I could still, how I could see all the suffering going on in Venezuela and yet still from my principled position say, I do not feel that the United States should be intervening in this because this is a problem caused by the people voting in a man who was socialist. He laid it all bare on the table. He is now a second generation socialist leader that the country has brought to bear. And even if there's even if there is an argument to be made that he is illegitimate in this last election, the United States should not have the power to say, well, we are now going to simply by virtue of picking a favorite that aligns with our interests the most, declare somebody else the president. But we have no idea if there's actual factual basis to to support his being elected. And even since calling calling Guaido the duly elected president, does CNN know that's true? I fucking doubt it. But I can't support our country being involved to the extent where we are literally aiding a man to overthrow a sitting government. We're working with people and getting confirmations from people, which, you know, all these different foreign advisors for the United States seem to be very confident this coup is going to happen that we talked about earlier. Yet none of it happens. But we are working behind the scenes to arrange it. But God forbid we call it a coup, right? Because America can't cause a coup. Oh, no, no, no. We can only oppose that sort of thing to keep the leaders that we like in place. But in the meantime, we are definitively considering backing what would be a brand new civil war in Venezuela. And I suppose the United States is the aspect of, they're looking at it as, as though Venezuela's military and its leadership that's backing Maduro might roll over if we actually brought arms to bear on them. I'm sure this is the argument that the neocons and the imperialists are making. Everybody that loves the military industrial complex is making that argument to try to minimize the amount of damage that it would take place. But if the military is loyal to Maduro and they will continue to fight for him to, to continue to receive the benefits, whatever they might, they might get from him to keep them loyal. Well, what are we going to see happen? You're going to see thousands, if not millions of people either die or be so displaced from their homes, which will be wrecked in the fighting, that they are now going to have a whole new crisis of people fleeing that country or just simply dying in the streets of malnourishment, of, of disease. I mean, we're talking about making a situation that's already pretty damn dire, infinitely worse. However, because we're doing it in the name of freedom, that makes it okay to my friends. And that's what's just <laughs> so frustrating to me, is that these people that are supposed to be anti-war, right, ultra-progressive, their tunes change very quickly as soon as it's something they perceive to be of personal interest to them. And we see this play out time and time again. Okay, well, we see, oh, the tragedies. We use these human tragedies as an example of why the United States has to be involved. And people argue that it's our moral obligation to be involved in these foreign wars, in saving people that have nothing to do with the average American citizen. But in the meantime, the average American citizen also who's joining up to, to join the military. It's not the elites that are going to, to line up and enlist. Unless there's some purebred, you know, fourth, fourth down the line in military generalship that's going to be shepherded through and treated with the utmost respect from the brass, pushed into military uh, officer school, groomed and, you know, catered to his entire life and then put in some cushy job where he's not going to be on the front lines. The average American that's joined the military is cannon fodder that's going to be sitting in the jungles of goddamn Venezuela, getting shot at, getting opposed by who knows. And it might not just be the military either. If you are a person living in that country and you are a supporter of Maduro or even just somebody that's on the fence and America comes marching into your country, guns blazing to overthrow a president that maybe you consider him to be officially elected, you're just going to sit back and take that? You're not going to think on some level, well, I'm going to support my military. I'm going to support my country. I mean, no matter what, you look at all of these other nations in recent history that the United States has, quote unquote, helped to overthrow their dictatorship. How has that shit turned out? And if you're sitting in Venezuela, even if you're sitting there desperately trying to wipe your ass with whatever you can, 
Does that seem like a, a better or worse life than having military troops marching around all the time? And meanwhile, your lot in life has stayed pretty much the same, except now your country is in even more ruin. Now you don't even have an official government that's functioning. And there's no promise that you're there, that America's even going to fucking win. You're just going to be occupied for the next 20 years while we continue to fight some unknown cell or continue to fight Maduro, continue to fight whatever the fuck else is over there. And the average man still sits and wallows in the dirt, except now he's got an invading force to, con- to contend with in addition to the socialist force that has already been making his life miserable. Doesn't sound like a great proposition to me. But just the fact that people are just so for the military to come in, that they're so brainwashed into believing that the United States military is a force for good that should be applied wherever evil rears its head is sickening and sad to me. And we are seeing it full bore. Like I said, my friends are the most progressive you can pretty much be. Hands down. They are now fully in favor of the military-industrial complex. They are now fully in favor of American imperialism and war. And I guarantee they are not the only ones. Because other than Tulsi Gabbard, you don't hear a peep out of the left on war. I guess Bernie Sanders once in a blue moon when he's not being a hypocrite about his fucking millions of dollars. You know, if Bernie Sanders is actually anti-war, we wouldn't need his bullshit 70% tax cuts. Was that tax cuts? Pardon me. Not tax cuts. Uh, tax increases. You know, we wouldn't need a 70% tax on the rich if you actually went after the biggest expenditures that we have, which of course is welfare, but also the military industrial complex. How about you rein in that, what was it, $780 billion? And that's not even accounting for all the uh, the defrauding that goes on in the military, all the hidden money that's accrued, all the hidden money that's appropriated and used for these black missions that don't even go on the books. Just, yeah, it was, it was really tragic to see. But I, as I said, it's a little bit of a tricky catch-22-ish vibe when me, a guy who's very pro-liberty, pro-human rights, as far as the civil liberties of people not being able to be crushed by government like they are in Venezuela, not giving government the power to make your money basically worthless and cut off your access to water and cut off, you know, all these horrible things that socialist governments do. And then I have to support in a roundabout way. I mean, I guess you already, I'm supporting Maduro by advocating against United States militarism. So you're forced to, to pick your poison. I mean, you're, you're forced to say, okay, well, which value in the liberty chain, in the liberty value chain, which value do I prioritize more? And how can I place one in front of the other? But at the end of the day, you know, people of Venezuela have been escaping, do have the option to escape, do have the option to rise up on their own. You know, these people can take their own future into their own hands. And I can't advocate for our home, home, quote unquote, home military to get involved, especially knowing the amount of human suffering that can be caused by that action. The law of unintended consequences always comes around whenever we get involved and has been proven time and time again over the past 20 years. But as it always seems, history is ignored by both the left and the right. <laughs> the left ignores the history of socialism for so long. Now they're ignoring the history of military interventionism on our part. The right loves to ignore the history of military interventionism. They love to ignore the benefits of a free economy. They like to ignore the benefits of, uh, of immigration. History, huh? What a kick in the nuts. Doesn't seem to do anybody any good anymore. At least not the way it's currently remembered, taught, and used in public discourse. All right, anyway, here's a little bit of history with our buddy Achillicus. I'll be right back after these messages. We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. Those epic words from Archilochus can sum up your ability to succeed or fail in business. I want to recommend Conversation Mat Time to our listeners as a way to hone your one-on-one conversation skills in a role-playing session that can help take you to the next level. 
During 25-minute sessions, you'll work through the best way to approach that raise, that interview, or that relationship with a practice professional that will provide the confidence and experience you need to get paid what you're worth or take that interpersonal risk you've never been able to conquer. Just like in jiu-jitsu, the difference between a novice and a black belt is mat time. Train to win. Visit conversationmattime.com and take advantage of a free 15-minute consultation just for listeners of this show. All right, we're back with some Electric Liberty Land, episode number one, two, three. One, two, three. Mm, it's easy as ever see. Anyway, I didn't mean to talk as long on that. Chuck, it's like anything. You know, you get down this goddamn topic, and there's so many topics that tie into the one topic that it's hard to even keep my fucking self on the same track that I was initially going down. Too many tangents, guys. Too many, too many different tangents. Socialism, military industrial complex, progressivism, misappropriation of historical facts, ignoring of historical facts. <laughs> the, the United States attempting to throw, overthrow other people's governments and interfere with their elections. Ah, damn, man. That's like all wrapped into one. Venezuela is one big shit bow of everything the United States does wrong in one and everything libertarians hate. It's just unbelievable. But let's come back here and talk a little bit about Bob Barr testifying in regards to this whole Mueller situation. Uh, I don't want to go too long on this. In general, it's going to be a shorter episode. Just FYI, I have uh, had running around goddamn meetings all day today. But I do want to address it because it's just there's it's just too sickening not to go into watching the Democrats trot this man out. Who look, I don't know Bob Barr from shit. He could be a douchebag. He could be a closet serial killer. I don't know. Maybe he strangles hookers in the bathtub and then uh, dips their bodies in lie to remove the evidence. I, I don't know. Not saying I know these things happen or not saying allegedly. No, I don't know. He seems like a guy from what I can tell straight shooter for the most part. Of course, anybody in government position, hard to tell, but puts together a report slash summary from the broader Mueller report, which is, you know, 400 goddamn pages and then that is rejected by the Democrats and the mainstream media because it doesn't go along with what they had expected, what they craved, and what, especially from our deep state operatives that have now gone into the mainstream media as pundits, primarily anti-Trump pundits, assured us was a, a slam dunk. You know, who was it? Uh, God, not Comey. Was it Clapper that said that he had distinct evidence or he had he was a hundred percent confident that this evidence was forthcoming about trump and there was fucking nothing there and then he had to go and eat crow on tv and be like oh well, i guess i was misinformed all these people instead of just accepting this finding and the Mueller report if you go through it again i'm not going to go through it because i already fucking did it once but if you go through it lays out and says many times that there is zero evidence to indict trump on colluding with Russia or conspiring with Russia. And if you look at it, there is zero evidence connecting him to anybody that was indicted. So all we have left is this nonsense about obstruction, which if you look at it from a case-by-case basis, is easily explained. Uh, Number one, and, and number two, rejected by his staff. Anything he tried to do that would have been obstruction, his staff then said, no, no, you can't do that. It's obstructing justice. And yet somehow Mueller cites this as obstructing justice by being told that he can't obstruct justice from a guy who doesn't fucking know he's not a legal scholar on what is not (laughs) obstruction of justice. I mean, my God. So Barr goes out there. Now he's being trotted out by the Democrats in this public congressional hearing because now they have to really grill him on everything that's going on in this Mueller report. And and how dare he? I mean, one of the most ridiculous lines of questioning involved Kamala Harris or Kamala Harris pressing him on why, and she did this for like 10 minutes, on why he didn't look at all the underlying evidence, of which I don't know how many thousands of pages of underlying evidence there must be. But the whole point of the special prosecutor hired by the Department of Justice was to do this investigation. Who goes through and reads every single page? Who looks at every single piece of evidence from a report that's 400 pages long? I mean, that's what the guy was hired to do. He was the Democrats guy. Everybody sucked Mueller's dick so hard when he was put into place. And this is a guy that, as I said before, has all the connections in the world to the Democrats, all the connections to Hillary Clinton. His entire team that he put together were former Clinton cronies. Peter Strzok was on his fucking team. So if they didn't find anything, there ain't nothing there. They couldn't even create something out of thin air to peg on Trump or they would have. 
And Barr even called this out in response to some of these questions. Yeah, I think this is after Hirono, that knucklehead from Hawaii, questioned him. He said, how did we get to the point here where the evidence is now that the president was falsely accused of colluding with the Russians and accused of being treasonous and accused of being a Russian agent? And the evidence is now that that was without basis. And two years of his administration have been dominated by the allegations that have been now proven false. And you know, to listen to some of the rhetoric, you would think that the Mueller report had found the opposite. And that is quite literally what these Democrats are trying to make it out to be. That the report found the opposite because of this vague mention of obstruction and not being sure if he was intentionally doing it or not, which was prosecution malpractice by Mueller. But not only that, they, they're trotting out this, this bullshit about obstruction, but now they're questioning whether or not the attorney general is working as quote-unquote Trump's lawyer because he is refusing to play along with this farce. Because he refused to come back for a second day of testimony because they wanted to have lawyers question him, which is above and beyond what anybody would, would be expected to, to do. I'm just saying the precedent for this uh, is virtually non-existent. So he refuses to come back for a second day of this absurd commentary and questioning. And now the government, or sorry, now the Democrats are saying that they want to cite him and, and uh, censor him and bring him in and have the sergeant at arms arrest him and force him to sit down in front of them for questioning. And not only that, they're demanding that all of the evidence, not only the 400-page the Mueller report, by the way, but also, fully unredacted, but also they want all of the supporting evidence to be released as well. So now we've gone from a point of a perfectly reasonable summary of a report, which even the people from the Democratic side who read it cannot find anything in there that actually would be viable to indict Donald Trump or impeach Donald Trump. We now still have calls for impeachment based upon this obstruction nonsense. We now have calls for Barr to be arrested and, and forcibly sat down in front of Congress to submit to more questioning. We have demands for all of the evidence to be released to Congress. And again, I don't know how many pages it is, but how much money, how much more time can we spend on this? It's already two years and $30 million. And now you have all these Democratic senators clamoring to get this evidence. So what they're going to do, they're going to sick their staff members on it to comb through it. Is that what you got elected to do? This is what people put you in office to fucking make your top priority rather than worrying about the economy. What if you're going to badger Trump on something, badger him on tariffs, badger him on getting rid of tariffs and ending the trade war that's going on with China. That's costing Americans millions and millions of dollars in excess fees. Or maybe how about the United States starting a fucking war with Iran? I mean, we're sending over an aircraft carrier and a bomber squadron right now. I'll talk more about that in a second, but no, let's not talk about that. Let's not talk about the debt being unsustainable. Let's not talk about all the welfare programs like Social Security and Medicaid and all these things being completely insolvent. Let's not talk about the fact that we're going to be paying off all of our all of our money is going to be primarily going to pay off interest on the debt by like 2025. No, let's not worry about any of that shit, right? Let's make sure that all these senators and all of their staffs are focused on combing through a fucking report based on bullshit that was found to be irrelevant by a prosecutor that they were championing to be put into place. And let's try to ruin yet another man's life over it by making sure that Bob Barr is driven, driven through the mud like Cersei Lannister on Game of Thrones, make sure he's smeared in feces, we'll throw fruit at him, we'll call him a piece of shit, and then drum him out of town. All over what? Just this fucking dog and pony bullshit. In the meantime, what really needs to be examined is left out of the Mueller report completely, which is that there's zero attention paid to the genesis of this. As I said, this whole, you know, this, this Fusion GPS report, Funded by the Democrats and Hillary Clinton's campaign, hiring a British spy who then worked with Russian spies. And of course, who worked over at Fusion GPS? Nellie Orr, wife of the associate deputy attorney general, Bruce Orr. And who she sent specific information to regarding Trump-Russia collusion from open sources. You know, they consider that just media articles. But listen to this shit. 
Hi, honey. If you ever get a moment, you might find the penultimate article interesting, especially the summary in the final paragraph. If Putin wanted to concoct the ideal candidate to service his purposes, his laboratory creation would look like Donald Trump. And she bolded this in her emails. So she's sending this guy multiple emails as well as his, as his colleagues, trying to influence him into believing that Donald Trump is a Russian asset. And in the meantime, she is literally over there working with a company to put together a dossier, which she knows is complete trash, to provide back to the DOJ as an excuse as to why this bullshit investigation has to go forward in the first place. But let's ignore that, right? Now, that's the other reason they're going after Bob Barr, too, is that Bob Barr has committed and said on record that he's going to look into how these things happen, that he's going to examine what's going on at the DOJ. And that is terrifying to all these people that are in power, to all these establishment pieces of garbage in the deep state and the, uh, the deep seated people at the DOJ who allowed this to happen. They'd have been abusing the FISA courts. That is terrifying to them. And that's why they got to give him the Cersei Lannister treatment. That's why they have to ruin his credibility. That's why they have to attack him over and over again when they know there's nothing there. Because if he actually goes through with this, and of course he's got Trump's backing here, even though Trump's cozying up to the deep state more in the wake of these old military involvements, he's probably depending on the CIA way more than any of us would prefer he would. But if Trump backs him because he's still pissed off about all these things that have gone on, ruining his administration for two years, well, there's going to be a lot of dominoes falling. I personally cannot wait until the first one tips. Okay, let's talk about Iran as we mentioned, the CIA's influence on Donald Trump, I'm sure they are providing the reports that go through to him, are provided to the Secretary of State, etc., in regards to the situation in Iran. The same nonsense reports that have been saying they're going to have a nuclear weapon for the past, I don't even know, 30 years, and they don't seem to be getting any closer to that. Anywho, it seems that things wouldn't be ratcheting up as quickly in Iran if not for the presence of John Bolton and the CIA. That being said... Donald Trump has agreed, or at least it's gone on without his knowing, if he didn't agree to it, to send a carrier strike group and bombers to target Iran in the Middle East. Now, when I say target, I don't mean they're actively going to start launching attacks, but it's supposedly a, per John Bolton, a deployment to quote unquote deter Iran. Even though these are not defensive forces, these are attack forces. Forces. These are strikers. These are bombers. These are, you know, basically one of our one of our most potent military weapons. Not there to deter, but in fact to provocate. Now, this comes in the wake of Donald Trump declaring Iran's military forces, the Revolutionary Guard, as a terrorist organization. You'll remember I posited that this was in an effort to get around Congress, and that they tried to remove President Trump's war powers, especially in regards to Yemen hinting that they were trying to take the powers back that have been gifted to these presidents via executive action over decades and decades of complicit kowtowing congresses who refuse to take the power they are supposedly guaranteed by the Constitution exercising that power to reign in the executive office and instead are content to consistently allow the president of their choosing, whether or not that is a Republican or a Democrat, to exceed that authority to expand the presidential uh, decrees by virtue of executive order and executive action. And of course, Congress goes along with it. The power party simply looks the other way because it's their guy. The party in the opposition raises a little bit of a scuffle, but nothing ever too much to, to provide any real resistance. Just like you see with all these procedural changes that go on in Congress or in the Senate, where they say, okay, well, we're going to change the vote. We're getting rid of filibusters and we're lowering the threshold. None of these things are good. These assholes go along with it to try to break any sort of uh, resistance from the other party. But in the meantime, the whole point of having these systems in place, these voting systems, are the checks and balances they put on each other to keep somebody from having too much power in the first place. So it's just a continual weakening of the things that are supposed to be there to protect us from our own government and from somebody taking too much power. But no, Congress too weak to do that. So President Trump declares Iran's Revolutionary Guard, his terrorist organization, now because of the whole, the whole guidelines laid out under the Patriot Act, he can now say, oh, well, this is for the war on terror. I have to act now because this is an imminent threat, even though we're not actively declaring war on Iran. Well, they've got terrorists over there, and we have to protect our interests at home. So off goes the carrier. 
Off go the bombers. Off go the strikers. Now, Iran, I doubt, is going to take this bait. I mean, frankly, it's not going to do anything to the United States. They're not going to be able to reach anything in regards to our homeland to, to launch a real meaningful attack. Now, what they could do is threaten Israel, which would probably make a lot of sense. Kind of like North Korea and South Korea. Okay, we may not be able to get you, but we can damage your closest ally in the region. So now let's sit down and talk. And that, I figure, is probably what's going to happen. But at the same time, John Bolton seems complicit in ratcheting up this rhetoric and ratcheting up this provocations by the United States military. It doesn't seem to me that Iran has done anything in the interim period. You know, I can't think of anything they've actually done from the Revolutionary Guard perspective that would be considered an overt terrorist act in recent months. Their military doesn't seem to be attacking anybody overtly in recent months, or at least not in the last couple of weeks that would necessitate sending an aircraft carrier over there as a quote-unquote deterrent. And we have, I think it was, was it Pompeo that said, we are committed not to putting troops on the ground, not to getting involved in an act of war with Iran, but in fighting that regime via sanctions, which of course are an act of economic war anyway and simply hardened population. But I would still prefer that, I guess, to a full-scale war, which how is America going to afford that anyway? We're already at war in Afghanistan. We're already uh, still involved in Syria, 40 different African nations. <laughs> well, not 40 nations, but 40 different uh, missions in active African nations. Still in Iraq. <laughs> I mean, how many theaters of war can we be involved in? How are we going to overthrow the Venezuelan government, guys, if we're busy fucking with Iran? But it just is insane to me. Again, to circle back to this democratic action, we're sending an aircraft carrier to Iran. You've got John Bolton, one of the most evil men, the most insane neocons that has ever had a president's ear running roughshod right now over everybody and getting his way. And you have the Democrats sitting down, the attorney general, to hammer him about a report whose conclusion they didn't like, despite a complete lack of evidence and their full knowledge that it is based on a lie. Priorities. Absolutely amazing. But at least one Democrat, Tulsi Gabbard, has her priorities straight in regards to war. I think actually Mark and I are going to go see her on Monday. She's going to be speaking in Los Angeles, and I think we're going to make the trek up to catch what she has to say. So we'll talk about that. Maybe I'll have Mark on uh, a little bit on next next uh, week's show, and we'll do a little bit of a recap of that for you guys. Because um, I don't know, right now, she's looking like the candidate that I would back. Again, I don't disagree uh, or don't agree with all of her policies economically, but from what I have seen, she seems like the poison that I could drink. And I'm really excited she's going to be involved in the debates. So TBD, <laughs> we'll, see. we'll see what happens with Tulsi Gabbard because she is the most anti-establishment candidate left. I think she's even become more anti-establishment than Trump at this point. You can just tell by the way the media has already started to attack her for various things her background, her previous uh, views on on gay marriage and on uh, conversion therapy came up. Uh, you had Colbert ripping her a new one. So, yeah, writing's on the wall there. But hey, maybe she can be the Democrats' Ron Paul. Get these people back on target like he did for at least a portion of the GOP in regards to where their standards should be for freedom, for liberty, for war, for the Fed, etc. Because, God, if she can just get Democrats to drop this goddamn identity politicking Trump-hating nonsense and focus on what's actually important, then she will have done a greater service than she probably could have even done if she'd gotten into office, impacting the next generation. All right, let's take a quick moment before I wrap this up by talking about some of these, <laughs> speaking of identity politicking bullshit, uh, let's have some fun at the expense of The Hollywood Reporter. But before I do, I want to tell you guys, please check out another fantastic podcast from a buddy of ours, the one and the only Mance Raider, or Pete Raymond, as he's now called, and his wonderful podcast, Free Man Beyond the Wall. I was on that podcast in a rip Roaring episode, which I will also link to in the show notes. Again, lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL123, and you can hear me and Mance uh, shoot the shit. 
Me and Petey Mance. Meter. We should just call him Meter. Maybe Johnny Meat Sacks. Good old Johnny Meat Sacks at Free Man Beyond the Wall. Anyway, check it out. It's good stuff. Okay, let's get back into this. So I am a, uh, I wouldn't say I subscribe in the way that I pay money to this publication, but I get this publication for free. If you're not familiar with it, The Hollywood Reporter is one of the oldest and uh, I guess probably currently the most popular of the Hollywood trade magazines that go out. So people within the film and television industries read it. Plus they've become a, they've become a little bit more celebrity oriented and fashion oriented. So they were trying to throw a wider net and I think they've done that successfully. And in truth, I give a lot of kudos to the publishers because Variety had overtaken them to a large extent. Hollywood Reporter fell to the wayside and now they've made a big comeback. So they send it to me as a publicist in the industry who has a good number of entertainment clients and also is, of course, a benefit to me as a, as a guy that's a writer. So I'm flipping through this latest issue, which... Uh, I would not recommend, but if you're curious, it's the April 30th issue. It's got Oprah Winfrey on the core or on the core on the cover. And it's called the empowerment issue. So right away, I said, this has got to have some gold in it, baby. And I'm going to dig that gold out. So here we are prospectors. Let's go and read into this fantastic article at the end of the reporter called the unconscious bias cheat sheet. <laughs> this is, here's the description. Underrepresented execs and creatives share 10 pieces of advice to avoid missteps and marginalized marginalization on set and in meetings. So this is their advice to us whiteies. Uh, and of course, not all of you are white, but to me whiteies, I guess. If I'm ever in a meeting on what not to do or what not to say based upon their own personal experience. And uh, I, I would have termed this article something else. I would have said unconscious bias cheat sheet, i.e. fishing for bullshit, because that is literally what this is. When they, cut, when they go out to people and they ask them for this stuff, hey, what shouldn't people do in meetings? They are literally just, just being like, hey, give me the shittiest thing that's ever happened to you. Whether or not it's, it applies to the industry as a whole, just tell me one stupid thing that a white guy did one time or a man did to you that we can run in this and pretend that it has some sort of credibility. Because a lot of these are just absurd. So let me read a few through to you. Um, this one. <laughs> Number two from a black TV executive. I'm annoyed that white men go into staff or talent meetings and put their feet up on the table for serious conversations. I've seen it a hundred times. If a woman, person of color or millennial did that, we'd be quote unquote unprofessional. Now, let me say this. Anybody who does that's unprofessional. I have never seen in a professional meeting in my fucking life, a person do this unless it was literally on TV. And in that case, when they did it on TV, it was to show that that person was an asshole. So you're telling me, black TV executive, that all these white guys go into staff meetings and literally lean back in their chair, cross their fingers on their chest, and pop their feet up on that fucking desk. Were they not watching all of the same movies I did? Did they not get the memo? I think even Perfect Strangers had an episode just about that. Find it a little bit tough to believe. And this is what I'm saying. It's a lot of examples like this. Okay, it's like, so... It's general, general statement. And of course, if a woman, person of color, a millennial did that, we'd be unprofessional. So only white guys get to put feet on the desks. <laughs> only, only white dudes are so privileged that they think it's okay to lean back and put your feet in the guy at the desk. No one has done that since 1950. All right. Here's another one. Never say there isn't an audience for that. This is from a Native American producer. So... <laughs> she says, while pitching native content, many of, are told, many of us are told this isn't quote unquote commercially viable or their quote unquote isn't an audience. Okay, now wait for it. This is the best part. One executive actually said to me, Indians are just too long-winded for TV. <laughs> Indians are just too long-winded for TV. Okay, so number one, if you're the person writing the content, you decide how long-winded somebody is or not. Number two, the whole, are we talking about the stereotype for Indians that Indians are speaking really slowly all the time? Like Golden Bear comes in and goes, Oh, white man, let me tell you about the salmon this year. Many bears eat the salmon. Like, 
Okay, you could say they're long-winded, I suppose, but you also would just be buying into the movie stereotype that has been created for Native Americans. So if you're the writer pitching the content, wouldn't your response be, well, I'll just I'll just direct them different. Indians aren't long, like, and long-winded, does that just mean they talk a lot or are they talking slowly as I'm doing? I find this, again, I find this fucking so stupid that it's hard to believe. Now, look, maybe it was a 75, 80-year-old executive. In which case, why is a young Native American producer pitching this guy in the first place? Seems like maybe not the most ideal candidate for you. And number two, there's also a shit ton of Native American content that's been published over the years. I mean, you talk about Dances with Wolves, you talk about Last of the Mohicans, you talk about any number of shows. I mean, even... Christ, even Westworld had a, a strong Native American component in it. But if you want to create content specifically for Native Americans, they might not be wrong there. Maybe there isn't a specific audience for the content if you're pitching it as content specifically targeted for a Native American audience. There just might not be an audience for that. I don't know. But to say that the reason why you're not going to make the project is because your Indians are just too long-winded. <laughs> this just seems too made up for me. But again, it might be true. Might be true. Uh, and then this one is pure gold. This is from the guy who wrote and directed the Book of Life. And he said, when I graduated from CalArts, I made a short that won an Emmy, the basis for the Book of Life. It was 2000, and my manager pitched, sent me to every studio in LA. I pitched a Day of the Dead-themed animated feature, and I was told, no one wants to see a movie about Mexicans, let alone dead Mexicans. <laughs> now, I'm not going to lie. I could see that being said 20 years ago. I just wanted to share that more or less because I thought it was uh, pretty fucking funny that anybody actually had the balls to say it. But I could see that that being said. And if so, fine, great. But you're telling me... In 2019, when every show was mandated to have some sort of Latin character in it from the get-go, that this is still a problem? That I have to... Is this his advice? This is the advice of these two people. What to avoid in set meetings. All right. Don't tell a Native American woman to her face that Native American people are long-winded, like, like Golden Bear. And number two, not to tell a guy pitching a, a movie about Mexicans that nobody wants to see a movie about Mexicans, let alone dead Mexicans. I mean... How, how often is this going to come up? This, like I said, this is fishing for fucking one-off crap because this is not a tip or a trend of like, here's something that is going on all the time. This is like one guy said something stupid to me one time and now I'm going to make it into this big thing. Here's another one. And this is one of the, one of the absolute stupidest ones they included. From an award-winning black producer. Everyone talks a good game but still wants a white man in charge. I was up for a studio horror film with a black female protagonist. The director, writer, and I had a love fest. You're our person. The studio brought in, uh, in every white producer to meet the director, but not me. They settled on a white male producer. Okay, so yeah, they, they brought in every white producer to meet the director. Is that, that's, that's what happened? You guys had a love fest with the director? Maybe he didn't actually like you. Maybe they just found a better candidate. This guy has zero evidence to back up his claim. He's just throwing out this fucking bullshit that somehow... They want a white man in charge because of one instance. Despite the fact that we're seeing plenty of opportunity given to talented black men right now, right in front of our faces on an ongoing basis. How about this one? This is called, and watch how you talk. In a conversation about improving diversity numbers, it was said that by doing this, quote, we are lowering our standards. <laughs> Who in 2019, in a meeting about diversity, would say that you're lowering your standards by trying to have more diverse content or improving diversity numbers. Number one, what the fuck does that even mean? She's saying it's such an insult and it's so coded. So coded? What? I can't even think of a context in which that makes sense. Unless, I mean, what would you say? Well, we've got to make this dumber to get more of the minorities involved. In what context would this conversation even happen? And how about this one? I've been on sets where they dirty me. They put dirt on my face and clothes. My character was a warrior. Going into battle, she should have been looking her best. <laughs> this is from a Native American actress. Okay, I'm sorry. If it's a war scene 
and you're in fucking battle, they're probably going to want to make it look like you didn't just come from shopping, like you didn't just hop out of the tub, even if it's historically accurate, which I find hard to believe. You think that your character was a warrior, and thus she would have been looking her best. It's like going to the Met Gala, except we're fighting. Number one, even if true, completely unbelievable to an audience. If you trot out there and you're literally as clean as you could possibly be, people are going to go, what the fuck is this person doing? This isn't believable. This isn't realistic. You'd be beat up. You're fighting people. You're not going to the dinner. So stupid. That's it. And then there's, there's a couple other ones I'm not going to get into. I've gone long enough. But it just is, it's one of those things where the industry and the left-wing media, which of course the Hollywood Reporter is very, very left-wing, the media as a whole and the entertainment industry are making this whole point to make a mountain out of a molehill. And I've seen this time and time again in regards to the whole way race is perceived and plays itself out. Now, look, I'm not saying that these things couldn't have happened to these people. I'm not saying that they don't happen more regularly than maybe I would like to think. But I'm thinking that a lot of these instances, which I just read, could either be misinterpretations especially or, or just completely factually untrue. Like the guy stating that everybody still wants a white man in charge. And again, how are these fucking tips? The premise of this article is like unconscious bias. You know, check sheet, watch out for these things that happen. Okay. Uh, number one, if you have an unconscious bias, going to be a little tough to change that, right? Because it's unconscious. And that's my issue with all these things is people take quote unquote unconscious biases for people that probably are well-meaning that might say the wrong thing half the time, maybe because they're trying to do the right thing so much that they're nervous and they misspeak. But then anything you take in, even in the tiniest sense can now be made into a, a racial issue or a sexism issue or some other issue that slanders a minority when there's no real basis for it that they can point to. That it's simply their subjective opinion on it. It's quote unquote, their truth. And thus, unassailable. You know, I'm, I'll speak out and say this is fucking a bunch of goddamn bullshit. That's the best examples they could find. Those are what they're trotting out there as, the, as these egregious examples of how Hollywood is racist and sexist. Give me a fucking break, man. All right, that's going to wrap it up. I will see you guys on the flip side. I want to remind you to listen to Mark Lair on Mondays with his interviews with leaders of the libertarian movement. Of course, John Odermatt with Felony Friday, where he is either speaking with people that are aiding in the causes of people wronged by the justice system or people that have been wronged by the justice system. It is fantastic content. Very interesting to listen to. And of course, I'm here on Wednesdays doing my thing. So there you go. OG variety show for your Liberty listening pleasure, guys. Thanks so much for me, Brian McWilliams from the Lions of Liberty and from Electric Liberty Land. Always stay plugged into Liberty. Liberty.